Thank you, Laurie um, and band. Thank you, Eliza. Eliza, where has she gone? Eliza, recommend you go to the toilets now uh, and use the hot air dryer to warm your fingers up. Okay? It's a... I don't need fingers to preach, but uh, you do need fingers to play keyboard later. Good morning. How are we doing? You sure? Okay. Uh, anyone feeling cold? Good. You're all well wrapped up, nice and warm. That's great. Um, I have to say, I made the. I misjudged the climate because last week I was a tad cold, and so this week I've worn a base layer, and so actually I'm really rather hot this morning. Um, you just can't get it right, can you? It's that thing about inappropriate clothing. Um, I. The passage, we're in 1 Corinthians. We've been going through 1 Corinthians uh, steadily. And actually we're having a little bit of break from it in the next few months or weeks. And we'll come back to finish it later. And there's something I want to say first of all. I think it's, Laurie prayed about uh, us confessing uh, when we like sort of stand over scripture and think I know better. Do you get that? I, mean, we, I think we all do it to some extent anyway actually. Um, and therefore I just want to say I think what we do as a church um, I just commend it that we take the word and we preach through it we don't like choose the best bits and just preach on those bits that makes sense? we don't just take the, the purple passages and preach on you know God is love every week true that is and many of us need to hear it regularly because we're poor learners but it's right that we have the Bible, and we get revelation on what passage we're going to do. But then we go through it and do it. So we to try and preach the whole Word of God. The bits that are straightforward and the bits that are hard, because it's all the Word of God. Amen? This morning is one of those bits that I'm quite happy jump over in a way. Not because it's not right, and not because it doesn't speak truth, I don't think. I think it does speak truth into our situation. But because it's a bit complicated to get to what the truth is through the cultural stuff that's over it. So we come to chapter 11. And and I've got to spend a bit of time first. I want to do two things, really. I want to preach on it. But before that, I want to spend a little bit of time about how you approach this sort of passage. I've got to anyway to get into the cultural stuff that's going on here. And this is this passage is one of those passages, and there are you know other ones, which, to be honest, have been abused in the past by people to reinforce their own ideas of what's right and good and proper. Because you see, Scripture is the inspired Word of God, and you come to it with the Holy Spirit inspiration, with the authority of the Church behind it as well, and you let it speak to you. But you can, as Laurie said earlier on, you can put your intellect above it and then find stuff in the passages that reinforces your own view. And if that's a, you know, a gospel worldview, amen. But it could be not a gospel worldview. You could get things that reinforce wrong views. And part of the problem here is that the gospel, the truth in Jesus, is incredibly radical. The fact that you, sitting there this morning, know Jesus... And you hear God speaking to you, and Holy Spirit lives in you, is like, whoa! It changes absolutely everything. It is a very radical thing, and I don't know if any of us 
get, get it anywhere near as radical as it flipping is. And, and, and it just challenges our, all the concepts we have as, as normal living people in the 21st century and indeed in the 1st century because it is so radical. You are a new creation. Say it with me. I am a new creation. I am a new creation. And, and because it's so radical and because it cuts across our culture stuff so much, not that all of our culture is wrong, and it's certainly not wrong to come with your mind to the scripture. But if we live too much in our culture and where our intellect is, then we don't get the radicalness of what the gospel's about. That's a preamble. So it's good that we as a church preach the whole of scripture. I want to encourage you as for the next month, not meeting together like this, but to read all of scripture. I mean, there are bits, I I have to confess, I read John's Gospel more often than Leviticus. But I don't stop reading Leviticus. One of the, there's a young person at university now, uh, who I've been talking and praying with recently, but who's been doing that read right through the Bible thing, just to make sure he's read all of it. That's a good thing to do. Okay, here we go. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And so he says, chapter 11, verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything of a holding to the teachings just as I passed them to you. I want to interrupt this and say things, but I'm not going to. I'm going to discipline myself to read through it, okay? So if I start saying stuff, shout at me. Verse 3, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of women. For as women came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. I could rather hope it wasn't the word of the Lord this morning, but there you go. Here it goes. <clears throat> and so back to context. Scripture is not written out of context. It doesn't Actually, that's true of almost everything, to be honest, but it's particularly true of scripture. Paul is writing to a real church, 55 AD, church in Corinth. Corinth is a cosmopolitan city, 250,000 people and 400,000 slaves or something uh, at the time. Romans have recolonized it after it got burnt down. And it's a hotbed of uh, paganism and immorality. I think there were 12 temples, they reckon, in Corinth. 
as the, the um, temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, pagan temple, who pre- practiced what they call cult, you know, uh, prostitution. So you go to temple, worship the god of Aphrodite, and then the prostitute would be there for you uh, after the, after the service. Uh, not a thing we have in Cheshire boys, it has to be said. Um, I'm, I'm very tempted to tell my one experience of meeting a lady of, of the night, but I better not here. Um, <coughs> partly because my wife's in the audience, uh, uh, and partly because you, you've heard the story before. Yeah? Um, uh, young people, if you want to hear that story, you can ask me afterwards. It's quite funny. Um, uh, <laughs> come on, back to the text. So, <laughs> but in Corinth, that was around. It's just, he was there in the culture. Paganism, immorality, and prostitution. And in the culture that they lived in, which we do not live in, the uh, re- normal people, respectable people in Corinth, um, behaved in certain ways. And respectable ladies had a veil on their heads. I don't think it was, I think you've got to think a sort of small veil, not like a full veil or a hat. But anyway, that sort of thing around the top of your head. And, guess what, the prostitutes in the temple of Aphrodite, of Aphrodite didn't. That's how you knew that they were um, in that business, because they had their hair uncovered and long. I have thought about this a bit, and I have absolutely no idea what the equivalent in our society is. Um, I don't know how you meet such people or how you'd recognise them. Um, I've always been slightly worried about the whole red light district thing. Because the only time I've ever been in a red light district was in Frankfurt. I was on a school exchange thing at Bensheim. And, and I was just wandering around the city looking for the cathedral, actually, being holy. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly I was in this area where there were actually red lights in people's windows. I thought, ooh, <laughs> let's get out of here quick. But that's what, it, Corinth, that's what was going on. And in the church at Corinth... The, the church is, remember, a young church. They've become Christians out of a very pagan culture, largely. And in one sense, they've got some stuff absolutely right. They're very open to get the spirit, as we see later on. And they had got this thing about freedom. What is it Paul says in Galatians 5.1? It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That the glorious liberty that we have in Jesus that we are free to be who we're designed to be, is amazing. And that gives you huge freedom. And throughout the last chapter, chapter chapter 10, uh, as well, Paul's been sort of saying, yeah, yeah, you are free. And he doesn't want to, to, to cancel that absolute principle that you are completely free in Christ. But, he says, chapter 10, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. You can use that freedom in a way that just gets carried away a, a bit. And that seems to be what happened to the ladies in the church in Corinth. Remember, in, in, in like synagogue worship, the women weren't allowed in at all. It was only the men who indeed had, had the scripture to study and read and stuff. And suddenly, they got the principle that in Christ, there is the quote Galatians um, uh, 3.23, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. One of the, um, um, someone wrote, I can't remember who it was, I I read it somewhere, so it's not my idea, but 
I've read someone saying, it's almost as if that verse puts three bombs under the church. The bomb of neither Jew nor Greek explodes in the first century, and they get that. Perhaps they struggle about it, but they get it. The bomb of slave nor free doesn't really explode until, in the Western Europe, till the, what, 19th century? And you get that. And the bomb of neither male nor female actually doesn't explode until our time, until the 20th century. The gospel is utterly radical. You in Christ are a new creation. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. But for the females in Corinth, they sort of got that freedom and they're just gone with it. And it's clear from what Paul writes that they were in church praying and prophesying. Because they, because they, because they can, because you all can. Well, not all at the same time, you understand, because of water and stuff, but. And they got that. And Paul does not want to close that down. But, 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 it's gone a bit far because they've used the freedom to say, whew, blow this veil stuff, take my, let my hair down. And, and you, just, you, you, yeah, okay, two things go wrong. The first thing, the first thing, and, Again, I'm on dodgy ground here, really. Um, uh, there's the, uh, reminded of the advice given to um, a young wife once when she wrote into a, a magazine. One of the women magazines said, uh, my husband doesn't seem very happy. How do I keep him happy? And the advice back was, feed him. If that doesn't work, take him to bed. And I think there's something in the psyche of men that we're like, um, somehow, sex seems to be a thing that we just can't get out or over. And I'm sorry about that, guys, ladies, but that's the way it is. And in the church in Corinth, the blokes were suddenly, whoo, look at that. And distracting for them. And what's worse, from Paul's point of view, is the ladies were saying, by doing that, in their culture, they were saying something about sexual immorality, which wasn't true at all, and not true of the gospel. So Paul's going to speak against that. And you can sort of tell, if you read this passage, that as he writes it, he's sort of in, you know, he doesn't want to close down the freedom. And the principle is you are free in Christ, and there is neither male nor female. But the practice of that, our freedom has to be limited. What's it? So I quoted Galatians 5, didn't I? 5 1. It was for freedom, Christ has set us free. But it goes on. Where is it? About. Um, uh, la, 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 la. I can't. Actually, it's fine. I have actually got notes this morning. Say, oh, well done, Chris. You got notes. Verse 13 it was. Uh, yeah, so five, Galatians 5 1. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. But then verse 13, you brothers were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Freedom, it, it has to be limited I, in some areas. In Corinth, Paul's saying to the women there, look guys, pray and prophesy, but for goodness sake, just take it down a bit. Keep the veil on, because that shows that you're a respectable woman. It doesn't confuse people. People don't get the wrong idea. It's not distracting to other people in the congregation because services, your worship services together are really important. And and that's why I say that, so let's take a verse example. Um, back to 1 Corinthians, Christopher, here we go. No, 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 this verse, I mean some of the commentators have no idea about this verse. Corinthians 11.10, for this reason, because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Now, 
I think I tell, I hear that and say, look, because of the angels, because the spiritual realm we're in, we have authority, which is still strikes me as slightly bizarre in the spiritual realm. Do you get that? Hello? Do you have authority? But it has, it's not like a, it's not like a authority you can exercise willy nilly. It's authority that's under, well under who? Under what? Under Jesus, certainly. Under Holy Spirit, certainly. But to be used with an appropriate respect for what's going on. I, why do I wear this thing? Does it, do I have to, am I free? Do I have to wear it or not? But in a way, it does mark out. I do wear it because it marks out the fact I stand here in spiritual authority, I hope. Lord God, bless my words and may the right words land in people's hearts and hear the truth. But I stand under authority of Laurie and he under other people. And I'm very happy to be under authority at times I am of die or whatever. It's not a gender-based thing. And I think Paul's saying here in that verse, there should be a sign of authority because, because a sign of their authority. It's not that the women are subservient in that sense. They have authority under the, because the angels do it properly. Exercise the authority you have in Christ, the amazing truth that we are alive in the spirit and we have this, this unbelievable gift from God that we should see and begin to see what's going on in the spiritual realm and take authority over the enemy. But do it appropriately. Do it under the authority of the church. Don't push that freedom thing beyond the point where it distracts people in the church. And let's be honest, that does happen sometimes. Not in that particular way. Our culture's different. But it's very, very possible for us to bring our freedom in Christ into meeting together, be that like this or in Zoom, and do stuff that doesn't help people, doesn't build people up. And that's Paul, I think that's the, what, okay, I'm moving on to the main thing now. That's what Paul is saying to the church there, and I think, I believe, the message for us this morning are those two things. One, you need to be intelligent, sensible, mindful of the value of meeting together. I suppose in a way it's become more, I wrote that um, on Thursday, and it's become much more like, I don't know, hasn't it? I mean, it's cold here, isn't it? A bit, and it's a bit funny, isn't it? We're in a barn, for goodness sake. What's that about? But it's good to meet together. And we'll be meeting together electronically, I guess, for four more weeks. And those times are really important. The word Laurie quoted earlier on, when you meet together, it's really important. Be intentional about it. Meet together and bring to that the freedom having Christ. But do it because you want to encourage people, to build people up. This morning when we finished, when I finished talking, we're going to worship and we're going to encourage people to go around and, and, and ask for words from the Lord for you. That's great. But that's still the same if you're on a Zoom call with three other people. Be aware of Holy Spirit and try and speak words of truth and life. Di uh, and, and uh, Wendy were talking about that on someone's doorstep. That's the second thing. The first thing is the importance of intentional togetherness when we're together. And the second thing is, 
it does matter how people see us. Look, guys, we, the gospel is radical enough. We are people who believe that God is real and speaks to us. Yes? If you go in the street and say that, people lock you up. Agreed? They think you're slightly on the loony side of whatever. Well, really, there's that radical thing. And I don't know if, I mean, I think die, when, I'm using you as an example, do you mind? You sure? I'm sure she doesn't use the same language quite on the doorstep of a lady in the flats in Chalfont Heights as she does here, do you? Right? I mean, she has freedom to say whatever she wants. But but we, we are called to be a light in the world. We are called to represent the truth of Jesus to the community. And that's got to be in a cultural way that works. Do you get you can't ignore culture. You can't. Have, some groups have done that, haven't they? And Christian groups have gone away, lived in the jungle. We'll have our own culture and blow the world. It can just go. That's not what we're called to be. And Paul wants the church in Corinth to be a church that outsiders say, "Wow, they know Jesus." Not, "Wow, they're really off the off the planet." In their case, this thing about cult prostitutes. I don't know what it is for us quite. But I want to encourage you, secondly, to not give up speaking truth outside this building. I think one of the dangers of lockdown has been a bit of more division between the life you live outside and the life you live inside. And I want to encourage you, church, to continue to do what Di was modelling. Well, she's got an opportunity. So that when you go into Costa and there's a witch giving you coffee, you say something. Uh, not probably what I would say if it was, you know, I don't know, one of the young people here doing it, because they know the right language. Or do you duck it? Are we light to the world? And that's, I think, Paul's concern. The principles here are, the principles of the New Testament I will absolutely stand on, are as there's neither male nor female. I haven't got time to go into the headship argument. I'll, if you want to talk about that, let me know. I'll talk about that with you as well. Just put out one thing really there. That's the principle is though. That's the fundamental gospel principle. The practical thing is, today, church, I want to encourage you to not give up meeting together. There's a danger, I think, in going into the second lockdown, that we sort of got zoomed out and we don't do stuff. Don't go there. It's important. Meet together and bring the best to it. And secondly, that we continue to be a church that shows the love of Jesus and the radicalness of being a follower of Jesus in our world.